Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 167. I'm your host, Eric Moore. This week, we're going to do a way too early sort of preview of the midterms, and we'll talk about it in the vein of the, uh, you know, the markets. We'll look at some of the, the key races. Don't worry, we're not going to go through every single congressional district race. But with me, uh, I think a multiple time, fourth time on the program is Spencer Wright from Halbert Wealth Management. Spencer, how are you doing today? Hello, Derek. Uh, doing great. Uh, very nice to be here. Always love uh, always love being on the show. Good to talk about some fun stuff. So I'm really looking forward to it today. Excellent. Excellent. I know you and you and I, I'll link to some prior episodes that you and I did. And uh, we did a deep dive on, hey, does it matter who's in power for the markets? Some surprising stuff. I'll link to that. Uh, I'm not going to link to our pre-presidential election one because I think we we uh, both got that one slightly wrong. But um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the presidential stuff too. But I want to start mm-hmm. with with a couple things. Number one is I know you've been following this thing. So let's start. There's there's the House races, right? There's the Senate races. And then we're going to do a way, way too early thing on uh, the president races based on the 13 keys. But I want to first start with you. And I uh, the midterm elections are in November. And the midterms, we call them the midterms, right? Because that's in between a presidential election and the next presidential election, right? So start here. There's this thing called the, was it the the congressional preference poll or let's start there. What are you seeing there? And what what does that say for the House going to Republican by what margin, Democrat? Start there, Spencer. Yeah. You know, Derek, it's very interesting because the the generic uh, congressional vote, the generic ballot, um, the polls, you know, historically, um, if your party is plus two, plus three, maybe even plus four, the president's reasonably popular, um, you feel your party should feel pretty good going into the midterms. That usually indicates that you might win some close races. You, you're going to have probably a larger percentage of safe uh, seats versus uh, the other party. And so you feel pretty confident. And so what we're seeing, of course, is that the Republicans are enjoying a a very nice spread, a very thick spread, if you will, on, on the generic ballot. And it depends, of course, on what you look at. And there are a number of polls. Uh, two polls are bringing the Republican average down. And these polls uh, have the Democrats at plus one and then plus three. Those are maybe outliers because if you look at everything else, and these are these are not you know, party hack machine push polls. These are very respected uh, polls by the likes of Quinnipiac, um, you know, Harvard Harris, um, you know, the, uh, uh, Emerson, you know, well-known names. At any rate, the Republicans are enjoy- enjoying a spread of, call it on average, around five to six points. So it's plus five or six GOP, depending, you know, on, on net balance. That is very um, significant. Uh, a, a plus six reading uh, on that with a, you know, coupled with a, a president that is uh, to be generous, having some popularity challenges. Um, you know, Nate Silver, who is a great statistician, uh, one of the best, really, his 538 website. Uh, if you look at all polls, all polls, 
Every last one. Uh, the average has Biden at about a 41.7% approve and a 52.3% disapprove. That combined with the generic ballot uh, on an average of plus six. I'm sorry to, you know, I'm not trying to be a shill here, but that is um, that is devastating for the Empower Party. And it's so bad, frankly, it's hard to know how bad it really is because we haven't seen readings, certainly on the generic ballot like this before. Uh, so my guess would be, um, you know, you hear, hear a lot of a, a lot of shrill uh, talk out there about how bad this is going to be. It's going to be bad, Derek. How bad? I, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I feel very confident saying, um, particularly for, even for the House, it's going to be very bad for the Democrats. I think one of the things that is, uh, and when you say generic ballot, that's we're not saying, hey, voters in Arizona, hey, voters in New York. It's it's really this generic thing. What's your preference for? Right. for Congress as a whole. I also would point out, and typically, Spencer, at the midterms, regardless of party in power, the parties, so whatever party is in power, so let, let, let me rephrase this. It doesn't matter if you have a Republican or a Democrat in office. It doesn't matter if the, the House is Republican or Democrat. In the first term of a president, typically in the midterm, that election sees the prevailing party lose seats, right? So if you knew nothing else, whether it was Democrat or Republican, you would say, chances are they lose seats. How many is is kind of what you're getting at, though, right? Only one time, I think, in the last 70 or so years uh, has that not happened. So what year was that? Uh, that was 2004. Uh, where, or maybe it was 2002. 2002, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 2002, where uh, Bush actually uh, enlarged majorities, albeit not much, but a little bit. That didn't happen very often. There were, of course, extenuating circumstances uh, as to why that happened. So one could say maybe that was a one-off propelled by you know very specific circumstances. Um, I think that probably is the case. That circumstance, by the way, of course, was 9-11 uh, yes. in September. And then you have the midterms and, and his approval rating went up. I do think it's interesting too that the approval rating of a president when the when the president's uh, party is in power, I think that does matter because right or wrong, the president gets blamed for a lot of things, and I think that rolls downhill. It's interesting you say so. I would agree. I think the House does go; it switches from Democrat to Republican. I guess what I'm unsure of yet is the margin and. Well, I mean, Derek, consider, consider this, you know, um, I think you and I before have talked about, uh, talked about the redistricting, the, you know, the gerrymandering, the, the basic uh, shenanigans that both parties employ in an, in an effort to, to jockey, you know, to help their position in the house of representatives. And, uh, right now, uh, if all things were equal, if you know the Democrats could have uh, could be plus one, plus two in the generic ballot, and Biden could have a fifty percent popularity at this point, but because of the redistricting, because of, of of these gerrymandering efforts by the GOP, it looks like that they're going to pick up kind of no matter what, sort of by default, they're going to pick up seventeen to nineteen seats 
And that's enough all by itself for them to take control. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And, and I will say that you're right. Both parties do it. And if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about with the idea of gerrymandering, it got its name by, uh, by an individual. But it's the idea that, hey, a lot of state legislatures, so the way this works, either the state legislature or whatever party that's in power in the state draws it. Some states like Arizona have a quote unquote independent commission that draws the maps and others have some some other way of doing it. But basically, it's kind of like, let's take a, uh, a state like, you know, New York City or, or New York. And you would, you would think if you looked at a congressional map, each congressional district, that's where the House of Representatives comes out. And there's, you know, there's over 400 total House members right now. You would think you'd say, okay, well, we'll have a one member in their district, if you looked on a map, you'd have all these little squares or circles and they'd be in one place. But no, no, no. What they do is, you know, you might have Niagara Falls with a piece of Staten Island, which is in New York City. Niagara Falls, for anyone who doesn't know, is on the Canadian border. Um, you know, I was going to joke around, you know, you'd have a piece of Miami. Of course, that's a different state. But um, but yeah, that that does matter. And it's And remember, politicians want to stay in power. And for a lesser extent, I think a lot of them want to, um, you know, become wealthy in power. So it's it's good gig if you can get it. But they jerry rig or gerrymander the thing, so they almost decide, okay, we'll have so many seats for this party, so many seats for this party. But what you're saying is um, that has been when you look at all the gerrymandering that happened, it is plus Republican this time, right? That's right. Yeah, it, it, it's it's leaning pretty heavily Republican, and they've been on a, a gerrymandering crusade for a couple of years now. Um, and uh, you know, the Democrats could be enjoying, as I said, a, a real you know what would be technically an advantage uh, going into the midterms, uh, and they would still lose con you know lose uh, the House almost certainly. Um, when you add that. <laughs> to the situation in which they find themselves. That's why many people um, are saying that this could be a generational level wipeout. Um, I, I don't think we know exactly how bad it's going to be other than to say it's it's going to be pretty bad. Last one we saw, at least from the Republican side, was, was the 1994 contract with America, Newt Gingrich. That was President Clinton's first term. That was the midterm <clears throat> Excuse me, and and you know again, you go back though. Most most sitting parties lose uh, lose seats, so I I would agree. I think uh, as we sort of transition over to the the Senate, uh, but I, I would agree. I think Republicans take back the House. It sounds like we're seeing a big margin, and even as we're we're uh, doing this, I think we're we're recording on a on a Friday. I think this will come out in about a week, Spencer. You know, we're not doing anything that's totally timely. I just just see that. Uh, New York, a judge struck down their gerrymandering efforts. Uh, so basically, I think they have an independent commission there. They couldn't agree. So the legislature said, well, you guys can't agree. We'll take it over. And it's going to be really pro-democratic. So oh, yeah. there's stuff happening that, you know, this is why we call it the way too early. But right. um, all right, let's go to the Senate. So mm-hmm. and there's so the implications, by the way, too, when one party has all three branches. So you've got, well, there's more than three branches, but all three, let's say, legislative branches, the president, the Congress, which is the House, uh, or let's say the House and the Senate. 
they can make laws, they can pass bills, they can, uh, so the House of Representatives has committees, the, the party in power holds those committees, they have, they can do investigations, they can subpoena people. Sure. So it, it goes beyond just the bills. The Senate, though, is the one who approves the judges. And I think Spencer will spend, uh, you know, we went broad on, on the House. The Senate, I'll kind of set the stage here. It is a, so not every Senate seat comes up like it does in the House. And so right now I think we have, uh, let's see, you know, roughly uh, there's 50 Senate seats. What do we have? Like 20 that are coming up to? I, I only pay attention to the ones that, that sort of are, uh, are contested. So let me set the, the stage for this. We use a site called 270 to win. And they have both a, a Senate map and they have a, an interactive Senate map as well. And to get a majority in the Senate, you need 51 seats or you need 50 if you happen to have the same party in power as the president and then the vice president can, can break any ties, which is the case right now. So Spencer, if I look at this, based upon 270 to win, the map right now, they're saying in the back, I shouldn't say in the back, but there's 48 Republicans, 47 Democrats, and you might say, well, wait a second, that's five short of a, you know, 100 Senate seats. And these are the five that are contested. Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. So I think... Spencer, why don't we start with one of these and because really if we know, let's say we assume 48, 47, which means that if the Republicans win two and the Democrats win three of those five, it stays 50, 50, it's status quo. Let's go to Georgia first. That's where uh, the incumbent is Raphael Warnock. He is a new senator. This one is uh, is in gray on on the map, and they're saying it's it's a a seat that's unsure. What do we think about Georgia? Well, um, a lot of the recent polling out of Georgia has been um, pretty close, uh, though a lot of it has been favoring uh, the Republican challenger uh, Herschel Walker, former former Minnesota former Dallas Cowboy running back, and Georgia. And New Jersey general, he played in the USFL, remember? Yes, and, yeah, and, and and yes, and and Georgia, which is why obviously he's there, and he did he did play in the USFL. So Herschel Herschel's been around, and I think Herschel is probably uh, headed to uh, Washington. I think Herschel's going to win that seat. Keep in mind that it was um, you know Warnock and forgive me, I've forgotten the other senator from Georgia's name. The two Democrats there were two Republican senators. Remember in in Georgia. And uh, they were both upended uh, in the general election. Uh, Warnock won that seat very narrowly. Uh, and I think that uh, I think Herschel is going to win out. And, and, and without knowing any of the specifics of what's going on in the race, the reason that you can look at this tactically from a macro level and make these types of calls is because the president is at this time deeply uh, unpopular, and the generic ballot is skewed heavily toward the GOP. So what that means is if you're a Democrat and you aren't ahead by, say, 10 points in your state, 
you ought to be campaigning like your seat depends on it because it almost certainly does. And this has a, was a very close race. And I think it's one that in Georgia, historically, as a state, people keep saying Georgia is you know, turning purple or whatever. Um, I don't know that I believe that. Uh, I could see Georgia having, you know, a Democratic senator and a Republican senator, certainly. Um, uh, but I think that uh, Georgia is going to gonna send Herschel Walker to the Senate. Pretty sure about that. Give you a, a little sense, and we say when we say Biden's unpopular, of course, we're, we're referring to the the Nate Silver 538 site. I'll link to that. Give you a little little bit of a, a context. At this exact moment, according to 538, you mentioned Biden's roughly, you know, I'll call it 41.7 percent. If I'm if I'm have my mouse over it right, uh, President Obama during the same time, exact same, you know, this many days into their presidents, equal days. He was 48.4. Um, Bush, by the way, was here. Let me, this is interesting. So Bush was 69.3 because that was, you know, he had the bump after, after 9-11. Um, Carter is the interesting one to me. So Carter, and I say Jimmy Carter because 1970s inflation, his approval rating actually dipped below where Biden was. He, he was only 40%. So this kind of gives you, and Clinton, just one more I'll give you for the audience. 59.4% uh, was Clinton's. And Clinton lost, that was 1994. He lost a lot of seats. Yeah, and they lost a lot of seats. And, and uh, so did Obama. Uh, you know, I think a result that Obama often refers to as a thumping Right, right. All right. So Georgia, I'm going to agree with you here. I also think it matters that there's no presidential election. And sometimes the, the turnout is more um, party loyalist. I don't, that's the wrong term to use, but. Well, historically turnout for midterms is lower than general elections because general elections brings out folks who might not, who aren't necessarily political in their daily lives, but who might not necessarily vote, but they feel like they, if they're going to vote, they need to get out and vote for the president at least. You know, I, I, I need to be a good uh, participant and go vote for the president. And in doing so, you know, you always get more turnout for those races at that time. In the midterms, it's more, um, uh, more partisan. It's more partisan. Fair enough. Let's move to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, is an interesting one because this one, uh, Patrick Toomey is the incumbent and yep. he's been there for a long time, Republican. Mm -hmm. He's not running for re-election. What do we think about Pennsylvania, no. Spencer? Pennsylvania is going to be, uh, going to be tough. If you look, you know, they're, um, coming through the primaries there. Um, it, it's hard to see, um, you know, who's going to be, uh, on top in that current primary battle. Of course, there it's very, um, I guess. Should we just say uh, who one of the people is, is in there? Dr. Oz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. There's, there's, there's a reality show sense to it is that, that, that Dr. Oz is, is, is in the race. Although, if you look at the polling out of Pennsylvania, um, he's polling reasonably well. Uh, and he will, I think, unless something 
unknown happens between or unusual happens between now and and uh, and then he'll he'll be the candidate. Um, he'll be the GOP candidate. Just to give you a sense of the polls here, so Fetterman, the Democratic, uh, the the assumptive Democratic uh, candidate. Obviously, in in all, each of these races, there are primaries, and the parties vote first, obviously, and then they pick their candidate. The Republican side, it's unclear. So, against Dr. Oz, uh, Democrats are plus two right now in the polls. Against Parnell, it's even. Um, you know, so it seems like this one could go Democratic, and and to me, you know, it goes to the power of the incumbency too. Generally, incumbents tend to get reelected by and large if they're in power already. Um, do you have a do you have a prediction for this one? And by the way, we'll do this in October and we'll see how wrong we were. But um, right, if, if I had to guess today uh, of how how Pennsylvania finishes, um, I. Th- think uh i think it probably goes uh the gop hangs on to it and not because of necessarily the quality of the candidate um i think that the situation is going to be so prevailingly positive for the republicans that you could run dr oz you could run um a cactus and and i think it might uh it might win um but uh yeah, I, I think that the 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 prevailing winds are going to be very strong for the GOP, and I think they hang hang on to Toomey's seat here. Um, now, now Oz's main challenger is a fellow named McCormick, uh, and we may see you know we could be talking about Senator McCormick and not Senator Oz, but you know I think the GOP hangs on here. I'll be a little contrarian. I'll, I'm going to put this in the in the Democratic camp for now, but this one is really too close to call. I think it's uh, it is, and really it is. It, it, we're, yeah. we're, we're, and under normal circumstances, I would say this is a Democrat game, but I'm I'm going to give them the benefit of the uh, of the prevailing sentiment and say that it's it squeaks the GOP over the line. Here. I'm going to leave it Democratic on we'll my board for now, but let's come back to it because I could switch it. You mentioned they could run a cactus. Uh, why not go to Arizona on that comment? Because uh, we have a lot of cactuses. And here we have incumbent Mark Kelly. Now, Mark Kelly actually just went through an election. <laughs> so he took over. Senator MIA. Yeah. Well, a lot of people feel like that. But Mark Kelly. So the deal with Mark Kelly is he took over a seat. So it was McCain's seat. They put Martha McSally. Um, into the seat after she lost to Kirsten Cinema in in her race, and then McSally was up again facing Kelly. So Kelly just got elected. Like you know, I mean, he got elected when Biden got elected. So he's only been in you know a little more than a year right now. Now he's up for re-election again because this is a seat that was McCain's seat that was anyway. Like he's the third person to take this seat <laughs> in in uh, so anyway. But he was elected. This is, um, you know, it's in, it's in the up for grabs. I don't think there's a, I'll start here because it's, it's where I live, uh, a little bit of boots on the ground. So you made the comment about him being a little MIA. All of the media and all of the talk has been on Kirsten Cinema because she, along with Manchin, as you and I both well know, has been a swing vote. And when certain bills that they wanted to pass they didn't get Mansion or Cinema's uh, support. They failed. 
So she really dominates the headlines. And for a long time, at least locally, I, I didn't hear a lot about Mark Kelly. I know recently he's joined Mansion and Cinema, I think on Title 42, which is, you know, the uh, the idea of um, when when people want to come into the country, do they have to stay, you know, in their country and request asylum or can they come here? Um, I'll leave that for others to discuss. But yeah, he's shown up a little bit lately. I can tell you, if you watch any of the new shows, and I, I don't really too often, you see commercial after commercial after commercial for Mark Kelly. It's unclear who's going to be the, the GOP challenger. My sense is it's a, it's a non-presidential year. Um, I think he keeps the seat. I don't know that the GOP has a strong enough candidate yet, but I, this is way too early for me to even say. But if you, if you ask me, I had to decide right now, I'd say he keeps the seat. What do you think? That would be my sense also, um, based on the fact that uh, the Arizona GOP seems to be um, kind of foundering. Uh, that, uh, and, and add that to the equation that Kelly has been a bit, uh, invisible, uh, but believe it or not, as you know, uh, listeners may or may not know uh, the invisibility, the hands-off approach, the, you know, where's Mark kind of thing going on in Washington, um, can be good for you, can work for you, right? He doesn't come off as, um, you know, a member of the uh, extreme uh, left uh, portion of the Democratic Party. You know, the guy's a former astronaut, as folks may or may not know. Um, you know, he's obviously a former member of the military. Um, and maybe he doesn't hold, and I don't know if this to be true or not, but it, it could very well be that he may, may not hold very many extreme opinions. And people like that, once they get in, it, it's hard. Um, they're hard to remove. You know, they seem like just sensible, reasonable people. And Mark Kelly may be somebody like that. I don't know. But, you know, if I had to pick, I would say he probably keeps the seat I'm just on that basis. There's not a lot of polling either. So uh, Bronovich, who is the attorney not general. Very, very little. I mean, the polls I'm looking at are, I mean, Kelly is up in the polls, but it, I, I mean, these seem. They're really old. Yeah, these are really old. I mean, like, really? They, we haven't had one since September of last year. That seems odd. Um. Yep, I think we both agree. Let's put this one in in that camp. Uh, yeah, yeah, Kelly hangs on. Yep. So then we go to uh, where we go next. Let's go to uh, let's go to Nevada because I think this will be pretty quick. Uh, I I don't know why this is contested. It seems like Nevada has been no. leaning Democratic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I don't know why this yeah, is. Yeah. I, 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 Mastro is a senator, by the way, the incumbent. Right. And I, you know, she's going to hold that seat. I, I can't imagine what would have to happen um, for her to be removed, but uh, she's going to hang on there. I don't, yeah, I, I just not going to happen. Okay. So then we've gone through, that's four of them. And you are two and two. I am one GOP, three. Democratic. I, uh, we're split on Pennsylvania, which brings us to Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a state. Let me let me kind of set the stage here. Wisconsin. Uh, Ron Johnson 
is the incumbent. He's running again, correct? Uh, Johnson is running, yeah. yes, absolutely. So the power of the incumbency seems like it would it would come into play here. What do you think, Spencer? Oh, absolutely. When you, when you combine incumbency uh, with, I think, the prevailing advantage that the Republicans are going to enjoy going into this election, even if things were to improve for the Democrats, you know, they could start Monday uh, improving their situation. Um, there's just so much to do. I think it's still going to favor the GOP by the time November rolls around. Um, I think Johnson pretty, I don't want to say handily wins, but if you're Ron Johnson, I don't know that you're any, in any real trouble here. So I don't know why they have the state as, uh, as contestable. Um, but I don't think it is. I, I think Ron wins a reasonable victory and incumbency plus sentiment, um, equals Ron Johnson. I, I agree. I think the incumbency alone, it's kind of like home field advantage in sports, so we'll put that one in the, I'm, I'm making my note here. Um, we'll put that one into, into there. And I've got, uh, so you are, let's see, you're three and two and I am, uh, two and three. So going back to our board, if three of those go uh, Republican way, then you wind up with a 51 to 49 advantage to Republicans, which means they control the committees. They can, you know, elect judges or not elect judges. And, uh, you know, they can call in front of uh, the Senate any sort of, you know, testimony or anything like that they want. And they would get to veto any bill. So, look, I don't know. I mean, Pennsylvania, I think, is really interesting. And, as we and, and, and here's why you know, there, there are other mitigating factors in Pennsylvania that people don't you don't hear much about. Um, the biggest one, in, in my opinion, is the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, on 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 day one, uh, on day one, uh, Joe Biden by executive fiat uh, shut that project down, and he won the state of Pennsylvania. From Trump, reasonably you know, narrowly, but he he won, and um, he took office, and then put the hammer to a lot of those folks that probably voted for him. I would imagine in in, in some quantity, uh, folks that work in that region on the, on the pipeline, and they're now out of jobs, and things are not going as well in Pennsylvania as uh, is true in other states um, because of that. Uh, because you know Pennsylvania is. Um, a, a fossil fuel state. Uh, they are not doing as well as they perhaps could be um, under different management. And I think that that sentiment plus generic positives for the GOP, uh, plus it was you know a Republican seat to begin with, I think that is what propels whomever, it's Dr. Oz, I mean, you know, whatever, propels someone, a, a person to victory there. All right. Well, I think it's, uh, and by the, this is why we say it's way too early. Cause as I'm looking at some of these races, I'm like, there's no polling. So we'll, we'll see. And right. And, uh, this, this is, this, this is, con, this is, con, this is conjecture of course, because, 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 you know, there is not a whole lot of, of polling. There is a ton of polling in Georgia. <laughs> People are, 
they're the pole the pollsters are in Georgia and uh, are having a field day. There's a lot of Georgia polling. Uh, there's and that, and that should tell you that that's going to be a real contest because there's already polling there. All right. There's no polling in Wisconsin. Gee, I, I wonder why. And there's not any in Arizona. I wonder why. And there's not any really in Nevada. Geez, I wonder why. And so, um, you know, those states are going to stick with uh, more likely than not uh, the current affiliation. And it's the two that can switch, Georgia and Pennsylvania. I'm surprised there's not more polling in Pennsylvania, but that's because they're waiting for the candidate situation to be decided. You know, they still have to finish their primary um, their uh, primary uh, efforts there. And so we're uh, once we have a GOP candidate, then you'll see a lot more polling there. All right. I want to move on to uh, this is going to be a way, way too early. Uh, we talk about the 13 keys. And by the way, with, with the House and the Senate, in order to stop legislation, a party only has to own one of those uh, those three branches. And so when we say, you know, I think the Senate's tight, I think there's a chance they they take the Senate as well. I think the House, you and I agree, is is pretty much a foregone conclusion if we're wrong or wrong. Um, but what you get with the Senate is just the additional committee heads and, uh, you know, some other things there. The 13 keys, though, this was designed by American University professor Alan Lichtman, and he wrote a book on it. And the 13 keys is basically, if you go through each of these things, and by the way, this might be interesting too. I, I don't have any data on this, but I would be curious, you know, how the 13 keys sit in a midterm. Does that matter? Maybe I'll, I'll research that. But he, he came up with these 13 things. And basically the deal is, if, uh, if six or more are false for the incumbent, then the challenger wins. So the first being um, uh, midterm gains in the House. So think about this. We're going to have a presidential election in 2024. The House is up for re-election in the midterm. You and I both assume that uh, the House is going to flip. So I, I assume both of us are good just putting this in the in whoever the challenge, the GOP challenger camp is, correct? Okay. Uh, no party contest to the incumbent. This would be a sitting president, and then someone in their own party says, "I'm going to challenge that sitting." You know, normally a, a sitting president incumbent, the party faithful and and the machine just says, "No one's challenging our." Um, the last time this legitimately happened, probably um, Reagan to Ford. Reagan challenged the, a sitting president. You could say, uh, who is the guy who used to be on Crossfire with George H. Bush? Um, but I, I think... Oh, Pat Buchanan? Yeah, but really it, it was Reagan Pat, to Pat Buchanan. Ford. That was the one that... Right. Although in um, Ted Kennedy and Carter. did challenge Jimmy Carter. Correct. I think those are, those are our two. So here's the thing. Um, well, actually, let me skip that one for now. Incumbency. And, and basically... Um, this is this key is true if the incumbent is running. I think for now we have to assume that Biden is going to run again because it sounds like he's told people he is, right? Right. I mean, who who knows? That's a big question mark, and um, I suspect that he will. Um, I suspect that all these all the talk of doing whatever, replacing him, the backroom wheeling and dealing, will probably come to naught. 
Well, that's just speculation. I, I think he'll probably end up running. Okay. So we'll give that the incumbency to him. So that key is, is true for Biden. Uh, no party com, uh, contest to the incumbent. I mean, generally over the last, in recent history, they, a sitting president has not been challenged by their own party. Can we assume that that won't happen this time? I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's the, a safe the safer bet here is despite um, the calls from certain quarters, I don't see it happening. Uh, no third party candidate predicted a greater five percent of the vote. I have no clue right now. I'm, I'll just give this to Biden because yeah, I don't think there's a strong I think, libertarian candidate or no, no, that won't happen. Okay, and then we have two on the economy: strong short term economy, strong long term economy. I guess. If we do these today, I probably would give the the long-term economy is true for Biden just because we haven't been in a recession since 20. Now, (laughs) we just had a negative 1.4% decline uh, Q1 of GDP. Yeah, suboptimal GDP print uh, very recently. Uh, Short-term, it has to go to the -the fill-in-the-blank Republican. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And we have no idea what's going to be, but this is the way too early. Okay. Um, the incumbent administration affects major policy change. So this is, if they did, it would be true for the incumbent, which would be Biden. Uh, uh, no, I, I have to say no. Uh, they attempted to do so. And and they've done some things, What what can be done via executive order by executive fiat they have done but some things you know much larger change requires actual legislation and in that case they have not done much what what they have done is uh they continued uh policy begun under the last administration of doling out um uh pandemic cash uh they sent checks to people. Let's just, yeah. I mean, they, they sent out a lot of money. Um, sent, sent, they printed and sent out a lot of money, which uh, helped, certainly, was not the only culprit, uh, but it certainly helped uh, create the inflationary environment that we're in right now. Agree. Uh, we'll we'll set aside that discussion, lest you and I, which would love to talk about this for, for five hours, uh, <laughs> but I agree. The fiscal response, not interest rates, is what's causing this, uh, and it's a supply Correct. side thing. So I would say, yeah, I would say that's not true. I'll leave it there. Um, no scandal, and I want to be clear on this. I think Professor Lichtman's not exactly um, – let me, let me look at my notes here on, on the scandal. The incumbent administration is untainted by a major scandal. Major scandal would be something like, you know, Watergate or I, I think that's generally true. I, I don't I think that's true today. Yeah, let's leave it let's leave it true for Biden. So that's a positive for him. Yeah. And I know people listening will be like, what about this? What about this? Those are all correct as well. But well, what about no foreign military failure? Huh. No, there, there, there has been, uh, there has been obvious and extant uh, failure. Afghanistan withdrawal, uh, I think, is what Af- you're referring to. Afghanistan withdrawal was chaotic, and I was not opposed to leaving Afghanistan. I would like to have done so much earlier, but um, the way in which it was conducted is baffling, 
and uh, chaotic. And uh, I don't think any neutral or reasonable observer who watched that can think that it was anything other than um, a bust. I think, yeah, I would agree. I don't, I don't know if that's too early to, to matter when it comes to 24, but I think for now I agree. Uh, um, there has been, and then, you know, the other one is foreign military. So I'm with you there. I'll leave it, I'll leave it for untrue for Biden, which means it goes into the column for the incumbent foreign military success. Um, I, I don't think so. And I think this, you know, we're, we're sending aid and stuff to, to Ukraine right now, but I don't think there's been any success. No, that they're attempting to gain success by proxy. You know, Ukraine, um, we could probably do a whole show on that, but Ukraine uh, has, I think, conducted this uh, so far very well. I mean, obviously to their advantage and with the help of several Western nations, of course, uh, through equipment uh, and I think some logistical support that doesn't get reported. Um, but yeah, in and of, you know, in and of, uh, itself and representative of the interests of the United States. No, like by military success, the obvious ones would be, Hey, winning world war two, winning the first Gulf war, president right. Clinton, even when during the, uh, Milosevic and, and the NATO operation, you could say that was, that, that was, that was, a, that, that was 100%, successful. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. So yeah. I'm going to say no, um, no to the foreign military success. And by the way, I, I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this, but you and I, last time we did this, we also said, like, there's no, there should be credit for not getting us into foreign entanglements, but we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> right. right. Um, <laughs> no social unrest. Uh, di- I, yeah, I disagree. I mean, there, 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 there is social unrest, you know, crime, the crime stats are, are high and rising in many key areas and and one can't you you can't not look at some of the things that the left has called for the defunding of the police and so on and think that that has to have at least some part to play in in uh the increase in crime there is no the the definition here there's no uh, sustained social unrest during the term um you know, this one's sort of ambiguous to me a little bit. I'll I'll say it's untrue for Biden right now. And maybe if, if that's the deciding one, we can come back to it. Uh, uncharismatic uh, charismatic incumbent, I think. <laughs> no, disaster. I think we both agree that. Look, <laughs> whether you like the guy or not, I mean, no. yeah, we'll, we'll – that's untrue. Listen, he's not he's not overly charismatic. I'm afraid. No. If, if this were President Obama, we would say that is true. If we, oh, we'd say, I mean, whether you like the guy or not, you can't. I mean, or Clinton or or any number of folks who you may or may not like, but you can't yeah, deny. Reagan, Reagan was have, charismatic. A hundred percent. You know. Yeah. So, and then yeah, un, we don't know. Here's the the one uncharismatic challenger, meaning it's true. Oh well. But who knows? We don't know. If you assume what people think is the most obvious, if Donald Trump were to run again, I would I would say he is uncharismatic by the strict definition. Um, but I don't know. We don't know who it is. So I think maybe we have to leave this one out or leave it blank for now because there's no way to know. Yeah, maybe I'll just put it in Biden's column and then we'll see how this this goes. So 
I just tallied it up, and the deal is if if greater than six uh, keys are for the challenger. Um, sorry, if if greater than six keys are true, then the incumbent wins. Right now, I have one, two, three, four, five. I have six, and again, I've said the the challenger is uncharismatic. If we take that out, um, then he only has five keys, and and the strict definition is you need more than. So seven keys are false for Biden right now. So that actually says if the election were today, um, you know, maybe that's, maybe it goes to the incumbent. This is why it's way too early. But I, I do think it's interesting. So some of these two, like the cha- the incumbent, the challenger, all this stuff, if you were going to do this for the generic ballot and just say, hey, can we, can we apply this to the, the Congress? Um, maybe that's something, you know, we use closer to the election, but it is interesting. Um, so it seems like it's pretty close right now if the election were held today. Like that's the the thing. Yes. Uh, I, I, I would think so. Um, you know, there are just too many unknowns obviously to go forward in the next couple of years. Um, but, uh, it's, it's more difficult to unseat a sitting president, I think, than a lot of people consider. You get the fly around on Air Force One. You got it in the backdrop at all the all the campaign stops. You know, you're in the White House doing things. You you have a party. The incumbency. Yeah, the incumbency is really powerful, raising money, the whole bit. And, right. you know, when you're the incumbent, I mean, think about it this way with, with the uh, – and I do want to get to what this, what the midterms historically mean to the market. So the last point on this, you know, if you're a challenger, people who are for that party have to spread their bets, spread their money around those that are contributing to candidates. When you are the incumbent with no challenger, you're the, you're the only game in town for the, for the cash. So, um, all right. So let, let's talk about real quick, um, the midterm some of the data I looked at, and I haven't controlled for, hey, what if, what if inflation's high? What if interest rates are high? Like, what does that mean? But typically, Spencer, markets in a midterm election year during the first term of a, a president, it's choppy. And then after the election, markets rise. Is that what you've seen in your, your looking at the data? Absolutely. Uh, historically, markets um, now, you know, rise is a relative term, but... Uh, Markets have uh, many times enjoyed uh, significant rallies uh, after the midterm elections. Um, many times they are also more muted. But in general, the trajectory is upward after the midterm elections. And why, why is that, one wonders? Well, again, it's a question of answering unknowns, right? Outcome unknown. You know, Wall Street uh, despises unknowns. Right. And they once once the outcome is known, whether or not um, it, it may be a, a preferred direction. And I, I would argue as a different podcast, Wall Street has no preferred direction. Um, but once once the information is known, then, you know, you can plan appropriately and, and markets continue. Yeah, I think one of the other things, too, is sometimes. You know, there's unintended consequences sometimes for what governments do. And sometimes, you know, like we saw this with Clinton, there was nothing could get done. There was gridlock. Sometimes gridlock is really welcomed on Wall Street because it means that for a company trying to do any sort of planning, 
that they have a little bit of certainty that things aren't going to change. Now, I do think presidents are using their power of executive order a little bit too much, and I've been critical of uh, both parties for that. And there's, you know, you, you outline the Keystone Pipeline, um, regardless of whether both houses, uh, you know, both House and Senate were Republican, Biden still could have signed that executive order. But I, I do think that comes into play. People like certainty, markets like certainty, they don't like uncertainty. But yeah, the numbers say that, you know, and, and uh, is it Tom Lee, he's one of the strategists, he comes on CNBC a lot of times. He was making the point in his data that typically you see sideways, choppy markets in leading up to the midterms, and then you see an acceleration after the midterms higher. Now, none of us are market prognosticators, and that's why, you know, at least with us, we buy and hedge, and other people diversify, and, you know, you have all sorts of things. But, uh, but yeah, that's historically what, what has happened. We'll see if that's the case this time. But it seems like Wall Street gets a little more certainty, and maybe it's kind of like a restaurant. You kind of, you like the restaurant, but you got tired of it, you want to try something else, and that's exciting too. So we'll see what happens, right? Right. Absolutely. All right, Spencer. Well, we could go on for five hours, but the, our three listeners would, would all be gone. So we'll do this again in October, just like we did last year. And we do this because mm-hmm. we're not necessarily in the political game, but this matters for markets, it matters for companies, and it matters for other reasons. And hey, it's just sport. You and I both watch this. So Spencer, can't thank you enough for, uh, for taking the time and coming on. And I know you're a, uh, a follower of history as well as uh, some of the political stuff. So Spencer, thanks again. All right. Thank you, Dirk. Always love it. All right, everyone. We'll be back uh, next week with another episode. Uh, Until then, if you have a suggestion for episodes, feel free to reach out to me. It's Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com, D-E-R-E-K.M-O-O-R-E, Zega, Z is in Zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Financial is up to you to spell correctly. And you can listen to uh, our one in November that we, or, or October, and you can see how wrong we are yet again. Thanks, Spencer. We'll talk to everyone soon. Take care. Bye.